Get out of your own head. Help somebody else out. If you don't have a higher power or God, whatever it is, you still have friends or family. Like, serve someone else. That's that's what we're here for. Welcome to the podcast by Mikhail Alphon. Before we get started on today's episode, I just wanted to point out one of my sponsors, Mike Me Audio, who actually created that incredible intro that you just heard. Now, Mike Me is actually responsible for creating Gary Vaynerchuk's intro, as well as uh, Brittany Crystal's on her Beyond Influential podcast. And what I love about it is it simply gives your podcast that high-end, high-production feel that really grabs your listeners' attention. Now, the good news is if you want an intro for yourself, you can actually go to micme.com, that's M-I-C-M-E.com, and use the promo code MIC at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off your first intro. And they make the process really easy. All you got to do is set in your script, uh, choose your music, choose your uh, voiceover actor, and they'll create it for you within 72 hours. Again, check out micme.com and use promo code MIC, M-I-Q-K, and you know the Q comes before the the K and you'll get 10% off at checkout. But before I speak too much, let's get on to the show. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am super pumped on this episode, but this one in particular, because today we are going to be raising awareness for a subject that I think isn't talked about enough. This week is actually Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And today we have a very special guest, my friend Laura Reeves, who's a holistic health coach at Diet Q. She's a huge ambassador for um, all things eating disorder awareness. And in addition to that, um, she's also a, I wouldn't, is it, it's not survivor, right? But you were a one-time sufferer of anorexia. Yeah, well, I definitely survived it. Yeah. It's a deadly disease. Yeah. But um, no, we call it recovered. I am recovered from anorexia and bulimia. All right, mm-hmm. cool. So Laura... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? I want the listener to know everything. <laughs> you wanna, All of it. You want to go right into it? Yeah, right into it. <laughs> um, I grew up in Southern California mm-hmm. uh, in Lake Forest, actually. I still call it El Toro. Yeah. I call it El Toro, too, which is weird because there's no city called El Toro. It's El Toro. That's where the Marine base was. Yeah. And that's okay. where my high school is. So it's El Toro. That's where I grew up. And... Um, You know, I don't have like one of those tragic stories, you know, like you've met my parents. They're great. I have a great family dynamic. Just started experiencing like some sexual abuse young by neighbors. And that kind of like took me into this zone of feeling just a lot of guilt and shame at a young age. And the way that I chose to express that was by shaming my body Mm. and um, like dieting. You know, I got into dieting really, really young. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned before I was an athlete. I was a swimmer. So mixing dieting and athletics, you know, it just became a natural obsession and progression from there. For sure. So Mm -hmm. I know that you mentioned that you suffered some abuse from a neighbor. Mm -hmm. Let's take it back a little bit further. Let's uh, with with your home life. I mean, your parents seem to love you incredibly. Mm -hmm. Um, And was that the case for you growing up from them as well? My parents loving me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm extremely, I wouldn't say spoiled, but if anybody asked, I'm probably really spoiled. I'm the youngest. I have an older brother. Um, My parents are amazing. They definitely even 
before I got into eating disorder recovery, there were the parents that like went to every swim meet yeah. and stayed up late to help me with my homework. So I really don't have one of those stories of neglect or I came from, you know, a really good family that would have done anything for me. Right. You know, I just, I had a secret that I, I felt like I couldn't tell them. When you were in high school, I mean, when did this all start for you, really? The eating disorder yeah. started for me at 14. So, like, right when I hit puberty, mm -hmm. um, I started playing with, um, when I say playing, I started really kind of obsessing about uh, my body. And I, the way I describe it as a young kid, like, when I really look back at it, is, like, I thought of my body more of, like, um, like a machine. Like, you had to, like train it properly. You had to fuel it properly. But I was like five, you know, I wasn't, um, exercising. I was having fun swimming, but I wasn't exercising for fun. And, and it was like, I'm going to the Olympics. Five years old. Yeah. And your yeah. parents didn't push this on you. This is something like a dream of yours. You know, I was good. So they were excited, but it wasn't, I didn't have the, um, what is that like stage parent? I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have that, but at five, I definitely had the, like the know-how where I was like, okay, if I eat this, then this will help my career this way. Really? Like I just, you know, it could have been the swimming community that I was in, but I definitely held onto it and soaked that environment in more than my peers. That's crazy. I couldn't, I don't even remember what I was eating at five years old or thinking about anything other than just, right? I don't know, sweets, candy, like the normal. See, candy. no, no sweets. Like yeah. I knew like how much protein I was having and like, it was crazy. But it, at a young age, I was very aware of what was going in and how much exercise was going out. Do you remember when the abuse started? Yeah, that started at five. So everything kind Around of, the same yeah. Mm-hmm. Did the obsession over food at five years old come because of the abuse, do you feel? The obsession to overachieve and become something special definitely came at the same time because I felt disgusting and gross. Um, so I had to like be shiny and perfect elsewhere in my life. Let's fast forward a little bit. At five years old, you're already kind of portioning out your meals mm -hmm. type of thing. What other types of deceptions were there? Because now, you know, not only are you portioning out your food and things like that, but were you over-exercising at five years old? I mean, for a five-year-old, yeah. I, I guess exercising at five years old is Yeah, kinda... it's not like I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to go for a run and lift some weights. Mm -hmm. But I, I played three sports, mm -hmm. and um, then yeah, I'd come home and play with my brother. I was constantly active, but I was really hyper. You know, <laughs> I'm naturally like a really hyper person. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely wanted to be something special athletically. When did the binging and purging start that this whole thing? Okay, so this will start at, okay, so around 13, I do become special athletically. I, I made the um, national team for swimming. So, and I hadn't hit puberty yet, right? So at 14, 15, guess what happens? I hit puberty, my body started to shift. And I was like, oh gosh, that can't happen because my time started slowing down. And so that's when I started the bulimia, like trying to control my portions and my body size as much as possible. I didn't get the idea on my own, you know, like I actually got the idea for bulimia from one of those weird like after school specials. 
and it's funny, I, I mention it and I laugh, but like when I say that in like groups, uh, when I do talks, like there's so many girls that are like, oh my gosh, me too, you know, because we're talking about like 80s and the 90s. Yeah. And there are these like weird, like after school <laughs> specials. Well, they're trying to raise awareness and then it did the other thing. It I went feel the like. other way. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm backtracking now, but at five years old with your obsession over like food portions, things like that, would that be considered anorexia? At five? Yeah. No, because I don't think like I was consciously like, like anorexia is when you deprive yourself of food for like, and and meals Mm -hmm. um, for days, right? At five, all the way up until 14, I was more like fueling my engine so that I had enough energy to be athletic. So I wasn't restricting anything. I was just more really, really aware what my body needed to be a, a rock star, you know, yeah. like, um, which is when looking back now, like, cause I have nieces, they have no clue what they're doing, yeah. you know? And, and it, it didn't, didn't dawn on me that I was like in this weird cycle until I was around little kids as an adult being like, Oh, well, that was weird. When your body started changing, when you were in high school, you said that's when the bulimia k- kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. do you remember the first time that you tried it? Yeah. What was that like? Um, frustrating because I was terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it just like trying to stick your hand down, stick your finger down your throat type of thing? Yeah, I remember ordering like a whole pizza. I ditched school. Like, it's it's so silly. Like most kids ditch school and get drunk. You know, I ditched school and like ordered a pizza and was like, I'm gonna eat this pizza and throw it up. But um, that's what happened. And I have a question about that sure. too. So the like when you were like. I'm going to eat this pizza and throw it up. I love your baffled look, too. Like, well, because it's just like, I'm, I apologize. No, because I want to know about it. Like, I sure. want to know, like, that thought process. Was there something about eating the whole thing just to see if you could throw it up and then having control over, like, what was still inside of you? Or did you really want a whole to eat a whole pizza, but not keep it inside? These are great questions. So everybody has a better understanding of, let's say, a drug addict or an alcoholic, right? In the addiction world, we tend to already know that a alcoholic can't have one drink. They usually want two, three, four, five, right? Mm, right. And then they get drunk. So with the bulimic or the compulsive overeater, that is the same thing. Like, and that, I don't, they haven't proven it whether it's genetic or not, but that was my experience. Like there was no one piece of pizza, you know, I had to have the whole thing and then get eliminated. Just like the um, compulsive overeater would have the whole thing and then sit with it. It's part of that self-sabotage, self-shame. It's almost like someone who would self-harm themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Does that make a little more sense? Yeah, it does. And when you say you're frustrated because you wasn't, you weren't good at it, do you mean like you didn't purge the first time or only it was a partial? No, no, no. Or? Well, I'm a perfectionist and I get everything done. Um, I, I, I wasn't good at it. Like yeah. I, I, I expected the girl I saw on the show that just like, you know, I, I'm not going to get into graphics cause it, I don't want to like, Why not? I, well, I don't want to help other people, you know? I'm sorry. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, so like, I mean, I could tell you. Yeah the ins and out of how you really do it and stuff. But like, it's not good. It's like telling that's pretty respectful. This is how you shoot heroin. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> there was that fine line. I got you. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, nobody thinks that it's like this addictive, but it really is. Yeah. Like eating disorders are addictive and it's a, a whole society that nobody's talking about. Right. I wasn't good at it because I, because it wasn't easy. Like bulimia is, wasn't easy for me. I've talked to other bulimics where throwing up comes naturally and easy to them, which sounds crazy, but that's, that's their experience. For me, it was always a challenge getting food up, which is why I'll turn to anorexia later, later down. When did that start? That started, I would say six months in probably, Mm. you know, around 15. And really what had happened was I was starting to have stomach issues from vomiting as one would. And instead of telling my parents what was going on, my mom, right, took me to a doctor. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was still seeing a pediatrician and the pediatrician was like, oh, this is so weird. Let's try a liquid diet for, you know, a week. And yeah. Boom. I feel like a light bulb went off. I loved it. Even when you said that right now, I was like, fuck, that's what he recommended? I loved it. I felt like I, one, I couldn't, goodbye athletics. Like once I became anorexic, like see you later. But I felt like I was alive. Like anorexia was my superpower. Like I, like I would be judging you for all of this. Like, ew, oh my God, why does he have all these cookies here? What a loser. (laughs) Like, like, I mean, it would really, it really became this, um, self um uh, gosh i don't even know how to describe it it's almost like it becomes this um superpower that only you have and yeah it's almost like a sense of pride it's sense of control sense of control right yeah and would you think like would you think i was a loser because i had all these cookies because i needed them to survive or because i ate them in the first place both Mm -hmm. and the fact that i could control it yeah and you couldn't gotcha Mm mm-hmm the thought processes to me are just so It's crazy because also if you were eating a cookie while I was anorexic, I'd hate you for it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'd hate me because you were jealous? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Why is he doing this to me? I don't know if this is a weird question or not, but let's just ask a bunch of weird questions, I sure. guess, because I really want to understand at least your scenario with this because everybody's different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I mean, you were an athlete at once. You're in you know, your senior year in high school. In retrospect, was there an issue, like, were you overweight? Did, like, did you, obviously, or I don't know what your thought might have been, but, like, was there an issue with your body or was it really, like, a control thing for you? When I was a swimmer, I was, um, my body was awesome. It was amazing. Um, And then not just, like, talking about, like, Physique wise, um, I mean, I had, I was healthy. I mean, I really did. I swam seven hours a day sometimes. So um, the the energy and the strength I had was pretty spectacular. By the time I started the bulimia, um, I I probably went from being naturally like I naturally sit at like one ten. Um, I probably went from that up to 150. So I'd put on 40 pounds just with the bulimia. I told you I was bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the anorexia. So w- within, you know, a six month period, I went from 150 to 80 pounds. But in my mind, I didn't see any of that. The the um, weight loss, I didn't see. People were telling me, you know, we're scared, we're... Um, Once you became anorexic, you started losing all this weight. Right, but the body dysmorphia, so that's a whole nother level of eating disorders that people um, 
aren't super aware of, body dysmorphia takes over. And body body dysmorphia can look like many things for different people with eating disorders. But for me, I could be 80 pounds and still identify as myself as 200 when I look in the mirror. And and really, not like, oh, I... Um, like, oh, Laura, you look good. And I'd be like, oh, no, I'd see myself as this 200-pound person. So people started getting scared when they saw you lose all this weight. Mm -hmm. um, what was your response? I have to say it was at that time I was 17 years old. You know, I've, I've got three years of a bad eating disorder on my belt at that time. I didn't really want to live. I Honestly, I was so depressed and in such a dark place, um, my personality, you know, went from being fun and excited to really being constantly ashamed and guilty and um, angry. Um, I wasn't fun to be around, so I didn't, I didn't, my friends didn't really like me. My, my relationship with my parents was terrible. Mm. Um, and the fact that I wasn't swimming anymore I, honestly, I wanted to die. Like right. this, once I stopped swimming, I I really that that really killed me more than anything. Yeah, and you stopped swimming because you were just malnourished. I was too the, sick. Yeah. yeah, I was way too sick, and I was way too addicted to the eating disorder. After you graduated high school, did you end up going to college or anything like that? No, I ended up going to rehab. Thank God. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. I'll tell you that story really quick. So how I got into rehab was um, my parents took me on this graduation cruise Great. that I hated because I was like, I don't want to go on a floating buffet. Like I really, really was pissed that I had to go. And I was at the point then in my anorexia where like I was hallucinating. You get to the point where you're like either passing out or hallucinating. Sure, it does yeah. get to that point. Um, and that's how I was on this trip. I happened to be in, in Bethlehem of all the mm. places. I pass out. I'm, I'm like, I think I'm having a hallucination. And I see Jesus. I'm not Christian at this time. Um, I see Jesus. I hear, I hear him say live. And I go back on the boat and these, there's this now I'm like 17. There's this older boy. I'd say maybe he's 21 and his brother's probably around my age. And <laughs> they keep asking me to go to these friends of Bill meetings. And I'm like, no, no way. I'm not going to go. But they keep talking to me. They keep telling me about their drug and alcohol experiences and how they've been going. They're friends of Bill. I have no idea who this Bill is, right? Okay. It sounds creepy. It does. But I remember their story about um, they both had gotten out of rehab recently and um, their story of recovery and stuff like that. And in, and in a way, it convinced me to go to rehab when I got home. So I'm very thankful for that. Two years ago, I'm sitting in an AA meeting because I'm sober from alcoholism, too. We'll get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> but friends of Bill, Bill Wilson's the guy who wrote the Alcoholics Anonymous book. Oh, they 12-stepped me. Oh. I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. All right. I was like, sure, no creepy guys. <laughs> so on this cruise, I mean, so you didn't end up going to the Friends of Bill no. thing at that time. No. But on this cruise, 
uh, you're in Bethlehem, you pass out, you see Jesus, but then what, really? It was the first time that I, I, want, I really felt that, it, I would call it a spiritual experience. Like mm. I felt that, okay, I can do this. I want to live. I want to go to rehab. Like I started seeing the pain that I was causing my family, whereas before I didn't care. All I cared about was my eating disorder, what I was doing, how people were pissing me off. I was really selfish and self-seeking at that time mm. in my life. Was the cruise like a trap to get you on this, the 12-step thing? That's what that was? No, no. My, um, the cruise was, my grandfather was living with us at the time, and it was kind of like the last trip he could go on. Oh, I see. You know, um, I think my parents were like, well, you know, maybe if she goes, she'll eat something. But that wasn't, that actually wasn't the case. That's so gnarly. I mean, when you say that you were so like malnourished that you're passing out and hallucinating, mm -hmm. um, like what did the average week look like of food for you? Food wise. Yeah. Um, every morning I would get up and get like, you know, those jars of candy where you can go yeah. to the grocery store and like, so I'd go to the grocery store and I'd get like a bag full of, um, like gumballs. Right. And that's all I would have. And then maybe a portobello mushroom. Yeah. All week? No, a day. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and the gumball, like, were you swallowing the gumball? No. Yeah. No, I, so I, I just really wanted to eat, and it was sweet. So gotcha. it was like my oral fixation, but I was a addicted to it like if I didn't get gumballs I'd stab you like yeah. it was bad wow that's so like I'd just be like <laughs> like it was so <laughs> weird I was a weirdo <laughs> was a weirdo um one portobello mushroom a day mm -hmm. drinking water no a lot of diet coke and um my taste buds were gone you know a lot of diet coke diet sodas no water yeah occasionally some dill pickles because those are five calories so you were still counting calories at the time? Oh, I, I mean, part of my recovery now is not to count calories, but if you hold something up, I'm pretty sure I could, like, nail it. So how many calories then would you say you were eating in a day? Back then, mm -hmm. I'd try to get it under, um, you know what, I'm not going to say that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. I wasn't trying but to. But it help. was, no, I know. Yeah. I know. It, it was low. Yeah. It was low. It's crazy. Yeah. So then when you... When you got back from this cruise, you ended up going to rehab, right? Mm -hmm. um, and did it help? I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I've been to rehab twice in my life because I'm a catch. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the first time, I absolutely loved it. Um, I turned 18 when I was there. And um, it was just an eating. So back then in the 90s, eating disorders were treated as mental diseases, right? So like the behavioral ward. Um, whereas now they're, they're more, you know, there's 12 step programs. They're more in the addiction land of things. Interesting. Okay. But back then we were, um, we were with like the schizophrenics. So it was really interesting. I loved it. I was entertained. I was like finally starting to eat. Um, I, I mean, I honestly, I felt a lot of peace when I was in there. Sure. I did it for six months. So it was a big commitment. And so when you asked if I went to college, you know, that's why my friends were going to college. I was doing that. Sure. Was it inpatient or outpatient? I did inpatient um, for the first 
half of it, I would say almost three months, mm-hmm. and then I did outpatient. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, when you graduated from that program, do I say, do I call it that? Sure. You know, when I, yeah, when you, that's what we call it. Okay, so when you graduated from that program, um, you know, how long did you essentially keep away from purging anorexia, the thing? That's a great question. I, I, oh gosh, I was fortunate enough. Um, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit. At 15, my parents knew, 15, 16, my parents started becoming aware that something was up. So at that time, I did start seeing a nutritionist and a therapist that specialized in eating disorders. I continued to see this nutritionist and therapist all the way into my early 30s, um, which that that piece of the puzzle will end up saving my life. Because I had that network already outside of the rehab, I was able to hold on to my sobriety or abstinence for about four years without binging or purging or really restricting, but I, I had a team, you know, I was, I was not only working with a nutritionist, but I also had a therapist I saw weekly. And then, um, you know, back then we didn't have 12 step programs, but we had a program called ANAD, um, which is still around today. Um, and I would do meetings with ANAD and ended up becoming an, an advocate for them early on gotcha. as well. Mm -hmm. What happened at that four years? I met this really sexy musician and we we fell in love. I moved to L.A. and I kind of drank a little bit here and there. Um, But boy, when I started drinking, I really started drinking. So, um, you know, it was it was clear looking back now, it was clear from the beginning. I I was an oh, I'm an addict of everything. So um, when I met him, you know, he. I, I can't diagnose him, but he's something. And we just drank and drank and drank and smoked pot. And it was awesome. You know, we moved, we lived in LA. I worked on Rodeo Drive. He went to music school. I mean, we were definitely like little Bonnie and Clyde that did it up. So from the first drink, did it, was it immediately destructive for you or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. The first bottle of booze I ever bought, I remember it smashing on the ground and, and thinking, that is not a good sign. The first time I went out and drank, like really drank, I did, I got, you know, mild alcohol poisoning. And alcohol poisoning, like, just happened a lot for me. Like, sure, I'd black out, like, a lot. But, like, I ended up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, a lot. Like a 12, lot. Like, 12, 13 12, times. 13 times? So bad. Yeah. I and, mean, and I would tie that into my um, eating disorder as well. I was going to ask. Yeah. So, you were just drinking, and now you're not eating again, or you're binging and purging again? I, I would say around 24, I knew I had a problem with alcohol and pot. I was like smoking pot all the time too. And I pretty much was like, if I'm going to be an addict, I'm going to start using my eating disorder too. So from 24 to 33 till I got sober, this is what a typical week looks like for me, you know, because I I had a successful, and I still have one, a successful career as a hairstylist. Like I was working on Odeo Drive. I had worked in England, like... You know, I was, it's not like I was a degenerate. Like I, I was doing very well for myself, which 
kind of was a problem too because yeah. I had money. A typical week would be um, Monday's hairdresser's drink. That's our Sunday. So Tuesday, I'm never doing this again, but then I'd restrict, right? So Tuesday would be anorexic. Wednesday would be bulimic. And then by Thursday, I had to drink. Friday had to drink. Back to anorexia or bulimia. So it was always, I was never sober. I was always chasing something. You know, if I wasn't drinking, I was binging and purging. If I wasn't doing that, I was restricting and I was smoking pot the entire time. And this would go on for nine years. It was absolute That's insanity. Crazy. Yeah. By this time, when you were binging and purging, were you good at it, quote unquote? Yes. Well, not like some people. Some people are really, really good at it. So interesting that yeah, you're saying it like no, that. Yeah, no, like, I know. And like, I kind of get a gleam, like I'm jealous. I know it. I know it. Really? Yeah. Like, no, I wasn't. I mean, it still took a lot of effort for me, but I, I'm, I'm a determined lady. So I got better at it. In high school, however, I did get, um, and, and I'm going to mention this only because um, it's off the shelves now because of people like me. In high school, I got addicted to a substance called Epicac. Which, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it used to be on the shelves for, like, kids that swallowed poison or bleach and shit like that. And I would I would go to the store and buy, like, massive amounts of that and, and swallow it. And uh, that's how I got, got it done, got her done. That's crazy. Yeah. I need to, like, break it up just a little bit with that Epicac episode from Family Guy. Everybody... <laughs> Fuck. It's heavy. Like, I'm in this with you right now. Yeah. Like, you're smiling about it. I'm like, and my heart's kind of breaking, although I'm so pumped that, like, you're here now and, like, yeah. able to share this story and laugh about certain parts of it, which is cool. But nine years like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another question, too. Sure. Is this still a control thing for you, having some sort of control of your body? Because the interesting part is, like, when I drink— I don't feel like I have really any control. Like I'm going for like a head change or something like that. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like I feel control over that when I'm drinking. Yeah. You're not an addict though. Okay. You know, like you're probably one of those people that can like have like a beer and then drink the half of it. Right. And then leave it. Like, who does that? <laughs> it's so weird. So do you feel it was still a control thing for you at this age? Like in recovery? When Looking you're between back now, 24 and 33. When I really look back at things, I was still that five-year-old that had that big black X of like guilt and shame and I felt gross. Like I never talked, I did therapy and stuff, but I never talked about the sexual abuse ever, ever. So yeah, I really feel like I was just trying to cover that shit up with anything but telling the truth so from five years old to 33 or whatever it was mm -hmm. nobody ever knew about that i did um a pretty progressive therapy called emdr at 30 okay and she uncovered it you don't have a choice when you're in that type of therapy it's for um, ptsd mm. she uncovered it and um i i have to be honest it i didn't go back i did not go back because i didn't want to hear it I didn't want to relive that, and it took me out for some time. I could take this down on a pretty crazy rabbit hole, but mm -hmm. with the uh, EMDR, mm -hmm. did you know about it before you went to the EMDR session, or uh, or was it kind of like this memory that was suppressed and like you didn't know if it was a dream or a memory type of thing? The weird thing is, is I knew about it. I just didn't know it was wrong, if that makes sense. I knew about it. I knew I felt gross about it. I just wasn't sure. I, I knew I didn't make it up. I just wasn't clear if 
if it was wrong. Sure. I, I still felt like parts of that was my fault. And even at five, like I asked for it, which is fucked up. Yeah. You still have another three years before you start recovering again, right? Yeah. At, at this point. Yeah. What was the turning point now? That last three years was terrible. I would get a DUI and not just like a DUI. Like I blew like a point two six, like crazy. Um, Whoa. 0.08 is the thing, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, okay. I would get a DUI, um, which thank God, like that put me back into um, AA. The, my first experience with AA was my ex-husband who was wild as well, takes me to um, get coffee one morning and drops me off at a woman's AA meeting. And then stands outside and waits for me. Like, I can't get out. Yeah. It was terrible. So he had cleaned up at this time? No. Oh. No, he was what? just sick of my shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was just like, no, you're a mess. You need to go here. Sure. But I got bamboozled, so I was pissed. This is twice now you got bamboozled. Bamboozled? <laughs> pissed. So, <laughs> the universe is trying to tell me something, right? right? <laughs> it would come back. So I get this DUI and they're like, yeah, you got to go to AA for, you know, six months. Great. Cool. I I didn't want that, but I go, but I'm like high as shit as I'm going because I'm like Mm. eating Jolly Ranchers and shit like that, but not drinking. Yeah. So I'm thinking that counts. It doesn't. Everybody that's not sober, by the way. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's crazy. Um. Again, universe is telling me you need to get sober. And I say, no, universe, I do not get to get, I don't want to get sober. So I go back out and I, uh, I kept having these like hospitalizations, right? So my family had, had this. You're saying it all confused. Like you don't know how you got there. I, well, here's the thing. Sometimes (laughs) I'd have two drinks. Uh Sometimes I'd have like 12 drinks. I would like black out and like vomit like dry heave on my on my own which never happens for like 12 hours so i'd have to go to the hospital because i was like dehydrated sure but here's the fucked up thing this is how fucked up my brain works since i'm at the hospital i'm gonna lie about like what type of um this is gonna get gross but this is so bulimic since I'm at the hospital, one, I want to get morphine, so I'm going to lie about what type of pain I'm in. And two, I really wanted a colonoscopy because it, like, flushes you out. Okay. And since I'm puking anyway, I figure this is going to be like a spa. I'm going to be, like, <laughs> like super thin. Yeah. So I would get to do this, like, twice. They fell for it. And I, like, made up this diagnosis of, like, which I'm not even going to say because— Sure. We won't do that. But like, yeah, this is how (laughs) I'm laughing about it. But this is how sick I was. You know, I would get alcohol poisoning. Something clearly was going on with my stuff. Sure. And I would use this as an opportunity to get thin. The morphine thing. Were you doing other drugs other than drinking and pot, too? Well, I, I like, like to say you didn't no. want to like do that. Like there's a lot of things in between like pot. And I morphine. always say like not really, but I did like the last summer that I was drinking because I, I never really was like a druggie except for pot. I, you know, I had like my own edible company and I smoked a lot of weed, um, but I didn't like other drugs because I like to like I'm already really hyper. So like Coke, ew. You know, but every once in a while I'd do E, you know? Yeah. So I had this dealer be like, hey, I've got all this extra E I can't have at my house. Will you hold it for me? (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't hold that. I ended up taking it all summer. But 
But I wouldn't have bought it myself. For sure, because that would just be absurd. <laughs> oh my. And it's funny, like, honestly, you know, we're laughing, but it's like I have a lot of context on you. It's like I feel like I can make that joke in where we are now in this right. conversation. Right. You know, rewind like 37 minutes ago. I'm not making any jokes like that. Um, what was the final turning point where you're like, look, this has got to stop? Were you trying to kill yourself during this whole thing? Like by drinking? Like, you know? No. I mean, towards the end, I was getting depressed where I was like, I could definitely see the hardship again, what I was doing to my family. And I didn't know how to stop the eating disorder. I didn't, I didn't think I had alcoholism. I knew I had an eating disorder, but I didn't think alcohol was the problem. Um, I could see the hardship that I was causing my parents. And that was really the only thing that like was touching my soul. Right. Like my parents and my dogs, like that's, that's my heart right there. Right. So, I mean, I wasn't showing up for them. I wasn't showing up for my dogs. And, um, that was, that was really painful. That, that got really painful for me. But the final thing, which um, this is going to sound really dark, um, but it, it will get me sober. Um, and it it brought me to a higher power in God. And so I'm really grateful for it. Sure. Um, my last night of like really hardcore drinking, um, I'm not sure if I got roofied or what, but um, I blacked out. I got sick. I end up in the hospital and I am like beaten black to blue, like beaten up pretty bad. Um, but I don't know about it. You know, like the nurse is putting my gown on me and she's like, oh my God, like shocked. Like my ribs, knees, chin, and I have no clue. Like no, not, like not a clue. And um, I know I Ubered to the hospital that time. Um, that's really my only recollection. So when the police came and did like, you know, they wanted to do rape kit and they did a whole thing. It was my dad's face. I just remember my dad's face of like heartbreak and I wouldn't say disgust, but it was, I don't even know how to describe it, but I didn't want to do that to him anymore. I love Stan. I love him so much. And I just, I, I couldn't do that anymore. And so that's what got me sober. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that? Well, I didn't get sober that day. <laughs> sure. But yeah, that was about four and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so no car accident that, you know, there was no car accident. There was like, no I did hit a client once, but we just lied about it and said, um, our cars both got hit in the back of the salon. Right, but the, with this final episode where you're kind of like no, bruised up. No, I just got beat up and put in the hospital. Somebody like beat you up. Oh, yeah. Why? You, well, I mean. You know me as like me now. You've sure. only met me sober. But when I drink, like I think I've told you this before. I got kicked out of like medieval times for heckling. Like I would get in like guys' <laughs> face, you know. I wasn't very uh, cool Women, I was fine, but men, like, I was I, I, so mean, so mean. Yeah, as in middle, medieval times, like, you know, if they're not coming through for your team, then. Well, they wouldn't give me the flower. I really wanted to be the princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, yeah, we'll leave that story. No, right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> okay, so it's been, how long have you been 
sober now? I got sober from alcohol and my eating disorder. Um, the official date is December 8th, 2014. So you just celebrated four years. I did. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's the best thing I've, it's the best thing I've ever done, but it's, um, it's not even about me now. It's a, it's a, it's this big force that's, ha has taken on this whole different life. You know, um, I've lived dreams that I used to have, like, Going back to school or working as an eating disorder advocate, those things are actually happening for me. Yeah. Um, but that that's it's so small. The biggest thing for me is like I get to serve other people who have this disease and are going through all that crazy shit I just talked about. And I get to tell them like, hey, you're going to make it. Yeah. It's OK. And you know what? You're not a freak. I've done that, too. Do you remember the organizations that you first, uh, you know, your first rehab center and, and the organization, was it just like any random AA thing that you went to, or was there a specific place that you reached out to? The first place I went to was, uh, Laguna beach hospital. Are they still around? It's mission Laguna. Now, um, they do have a mental health ward, uh, you know, it's a whole floor for mental health. It's good. They do not have a eating disorder at, at that time in the 90s. They had a whole section for eating disorders, which was incredible. They do not have that anymore, though. Now it's just mental health and, and drug addiction and alcoholism. Your work now, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what are you doing? Like practically, what are you doing to help people that are suffering from this as well? So just as a like an example, my everyday life looks something like, um, you know, I've got 22 boys and girls that are accountable and, and call me and um, are recovering from either bulimia, anorexia, alcoholism, or some kind of drug addiction, or even mental health issues. So um, those are just the, the 22 I work with directly, you know, and then on social media, media, people are constantly hitting me up with, you know, questions, um, especially parents. A lot of parents have questions about their, their children and, and stuff like that. So on a typical day, I'm, I'm answering phone calls, emails, um, meeting with clients and, um, just, spreading the education and the love and the awareness about eating disorders. I really feel like eating disorder recovery um, or eat, even eating disorder addiction is where drugs and alcohol were, let's say 40 years ago, where it was kind of looked at like as an odd entity. But now, you know, if someone says I'm an alcoholic, I'm in AA, people are like, oh yeah, good for you. I mean, they're a little more accepting of it now, right? right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's not so odd, especially in Southern California. Like, yeah, it's a mecca for uh, rehab kind of and recovery. Yeah. But if someone's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm recovered from bulimia. One, you never hear that because people are still ashamed of it, you know, and I want to just take the the lid off that. I want to I want to help with that. Yeah, cool. You know, I think I may have jumped a little bit ahead to talk about the work that you're doing. But now today it's like we went to sushi one time and you and I asked you, do you like sushi? And you're like, I love sushi. And you constantly said, like, I love food, like this whole thing. Mm -hmm. How do you like how do you manage that now? Like, where do you find that balance? What I know that it's like the image of your dad and you don't want to hurt people around you. But practically, it's like what keeps you at bay? Any recovery. Um, this is my and let me let me get clear about this. This is my view on it. Sure. Any recovery from um, the, an obsession of the mind. 
And, you know, that could be an eating disorder, alcoholism, drug addiction, um, gambling. Um, I believe, and what I've seen proven time and time again, but from the people that have gone before me, um, is a spiritual malady. So the first step, right, is just admitting you have a problem, right? And the second is finding something bigger than yourself to solve it, you know, and turning it over after that, you know, becoming, for me, the big change was letting God have control. You know, my whole thing was control because I couldn't control the emotions and shame that was going on inside me, you know, and once I took that secret out and allowed um, a higher power, right, to come into my life and really take over and embrace that, everything just seems so much less scary and doable, right? I, I mean, that was the big changing point. And even today, you know, like I don't, I don't walk in anywhere before praying and meditating. Um, I mean, I'll go to the grocery store and start praying for people. That's the best thing that I have for recovery is it's not about me. I went from a life where everything was about me, whether it was good or bad, right? Um, you have narcissists who are like ego, egotistical where everything are, is about them. But on the flip side, when, when you're depressed, um, most of us are still thinking about ourselves. It's just in a negative light. So I, I mean, I hate to say that's selfish, but it is some form of self. And that's what I needed to get out of. I needed to start thinking about a higher power and other people. And that's kind of what, that's what's helps me today. Yes, I love food. I love going out to eat, but it's, it's the experience, you know, sharing time with you or sharing time with my parents or, you know, even getting dressed up. Like it's the experience I get to have while having the sushi. What about for drugs and alcohol? How are you, is it the same concept as well too, where you're like, where you're just kind of giving this up to a higher power and praying about it, it's all encompassing. And the reason, I guess the reason I'm asking is because, you know, there's just, I don't know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that we live in different worlds or anything like that, but it's like, there's always something that's trying to like numb a feeling or whatever it is, whether it be food or whether it be drugs. And now it's like, a milder version of drugs with CBD and like, mm -hmm. like, you know, and by the way, like I'm, I don't feel like getting blown up by any CBD advocates. I'm not saying one, <laughs> one thing or another, but it's just like, that seems kind of weird. Like that that's happening. And like, you know, like all these things, like you, you're just like, I'm not even going to mess with it. Like I'm on my path. I know it makes me happy, you know, and you're focused is what it sounds like. First of all, that's what diet Q is all about. Yeah. Right. What is Diet Q about? Let's talk about that for a second. Diet like Q is, we call it a diet recovery program. So um, if you have a an out, like if you're a raging alcoholic, you go to rehab, you do the 12 steps, right? You have a medical issue with alcohol. If you have an eating disorder, same thing. If you're someone that's constantly like you were talking about, like trying new fad diets or an emotional eater or stress eater and you've always returning to something about the the food culture the diet culture whether it's exercise or what have you um you're trying to fill a god-sized hole basically with food exercise something um that's really what diet q addresses it's it's not a diet 
It's not an exercise routine. It's a lifestyle change that really addresses things through um, guided imagery, which is meditation, essentially, and um, journaling. It's, it's a way of breaking into your subconscious creatively and, and going back to the beginning of why you feel like you need these little little nuances to fill you up. That's so interesting that you say that because you said, you know, these diets and whatever else I was describing was like a, you're trying to fill a God-sized hole. Mm-hmm. You're numbing out from something. Yeah. Right? Um, when did you realize that it was like a God-sized hole that you were trying to fill and you were kind of maybe searching for some sort of fulfillment? Like when was that the thing? Well, I got told that's what it was. I didn't figure that out. So let's get clear about that. Right. Somebody helped me. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I took it to the to the end of earth and was like, eh, I'll just jump off, right? So, but somebody grabbed me by the hand and said, No, this is this is what is your issue. You know, you don't have nothing's wrong with you. You know, you're just numbing out from stuff that you don't like in your subconscious, right? So let's let's look at that and then learn how to replace it with healthy options. Sure. Best option, a higher power. Sure. Whether it's the trees, the ocean, whatever it is, you know, I choose God, but not everybody, that's not everybody's sauce. I right. get it. What are some other uh, like healthy options that you practice on a daily basis? So I have a really strong morning routine. Um, I love it. I, I can't start my day without it. <coughs> You see how I turned for you too? Like I was going to help you. (laughs) Um, So I pray in the morning, I meditate, I write, and then I move. Um, And moving is, you know, sometimes my roommate and I just go for a walk or we stretch or whatever that is. But the movement's uh, key as well. So those are the three things. Is there like a time limit that you set for both? Some people do time limits and numbers. For my obsession, no numbers for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Because the calorie counting and all this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always a little bit late or uh, no numbers for me. Numbers are bad. Bad. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's super self-aware there. Mm-hmm. Um, what about at night? Early in my recovery, I had kind of the same routine where I'd write and journal. And um, now it's just I read and I pray and that's kind of it. I've in my recovery, I've, you know, if AA made me spiritual, um, spirituality made me religious. Sure. Right. So I've, I've kind of like, I've just grown so much with my own path. Um, like I'm converting to being Catholic right now. So, you know, at night for me right now, it's, it's the rosary and yeah, it's a different it's a different deal than what it used to look like. Real quick, we don't have to dive into it. What made you want to convert to Catholicism? Oh my gosh, that was so awesome. So I've been Buddhist for like three, four years, something like that. And I love Buddhism. Love it, love it, love it. I still do. But I went um on this uh, Catholic women's retreat in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I had the most amazing like experience, like almost like I was on acid, but I wasn't, <laughs> you know, like the nuns there and, um, the public speakers, they just, it just blew my mind. Like yeah. I wanted to be like them. I wanted, I wanted everything they, they were saying and, oh, it was just great. Yeah, and I live with this this beautiful Christian woman that 
lightens my life. So, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I grew up Catholic and then like. I remember that. Kind of converted out of it. Mm -hmm. So I've always been interested the other way. You know. Yeah, there's not a lot of people going into Catholicism. Yeah, no, a lot of people going right. out, but not going in. <laughs> right. But, um, but that's cool. I'm pumped for you. It's been really cool. Yeah. So what's next for what's next for Laura? What is are you focusing more on diet Q? Which, by the way, you did change it from diet EQ. And it, when we first talked about it, I was like. I feel like it could be something a little different that rolls off the tongue. Diet Q is great. I think you mentioned it. You yeah. were like one of the first people that mentioned it. It was the dash that was, um, yeah. people don't want to put a dash when they're typing it in. Sure. Uh, and what's next for me? Right now I'm a full-time student. Um, I'm getting a, a degree in holistic nutrition. So that's my current like finished school. Anybody that knows me well, like, I, w I was so, I barely graduated high school, not only because of my eating disorder, but like I really could hardly read. My, my dyslexia was very, very bad. So going back to school and like doing well, and I'm almost 40. Like, I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing. It's a, it definitely is, I wouldn't be where I am if I, if I didn't have recovery, you know? So that's a big deal for me right now is school. And then with that, um, you know, to be a nutritionist for, um, you know, in the eating disorder world, you know, pretty much I can do anything that way. You know, as a holistic health coach, I'm a little bit more limited. Um, but as a nutritionist, I can do so much more. <laughs> but um, really, I my goal is by the my my five year goal, which is now I only have two more years to make that happen is I've been working on a book and um so that's probably school, book, diet cue. Yeah, those are my main focuses right now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, if if somebody is uh, if somebody is suffering from this right now, mm -hmm. um, what are some resources that they can easily look up? So I don't know if we mentioned you mentioned it at the beginning this week, um, the twenty February twenty fifth to March third mm -hmm. is National Eating Disorder Awareness mm -hmm. Week. Uh, Neda.com is, um, it's National Eating Disorder Awareness. So that's N-E-D-A? Yeah. Dot com. Um, they, they have uh, personality tests, all sorts of great resources for eating disorders and um, where to get help, hotlines, all sorts of great stuff. So that's definitely a great place to go. Also, Project Heal is great. They do such great work, especially in California. Uh, they're one of my favorites, and um, if you do live in Southern California, we have we finally have twelve step groups called EDA. Um, I'm just starting. They're small. Uh, we've got two in Newport, two or three maybe in Newport, but then I'm starting one down in San Juan. So you know they're slowly getting bigger. I have one co go like that's been going out of my house for two years. So anybody can contact me via Instagrams. It's kind of um, the best resources for eating disorders that we have right now is Project Hope, NEDA. And then if you, if you need a 12-step program, eda.org has podcasts that you can listen to. Uh, it's Meetings are limited 
in states, but um, if you're in Southern California, you can find some meetings. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I like to wrap every episode with a bit of advice from the guest to the listener, whatever it might be. And you were so generous in your story and everything that you shared with us. And mm-hmm. you made it kind of easy to talk about, too, with how much you laughed about laughed about certain I aspects. I think they're funny. <laughs> I think eating disorders are funny. Alcoholism definitely funny. <laughs> but come on, eating disorders are really funny. Why is it funny? First of all, like you've most of the time you have this beautiful person inside and out that's like trying to make themselves throw up. Like it's for so ridiculous. It's funny. It's like a stand-up comedy skit, you know? Like I love the perspective though. You know I just I think mean? it's funny. Sure. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I've been in it and I've heard so many ridiculous stories. Do your clients kind of laugh about it the same way that you do sometimes too? Yeah. When they tell me their stories, I'm like, you you hear how insane that is. <laughs> right? Right. Like sometimes they'll call and be crying about a pair of pants. And it's like, you hear the insanity in that, right? Like <laughs> right. your day is ruined over a pair of pants. Like sure. get your shit together. Let's have a good day. So what's important when it's not the pair of pants? What is important? It's that connection with something bigger than you. You know, like get out of your own head. Help somebody else out. If you don't have a higher power or God, whatever it is, you still have friends or family. Like serve someone else. That's that's what we're here for. God, I love it so much. Um, so about that piece of advice to the listener, what would you say to them? Stop thinking about yourself and serve other people. It's the best, whether you're healthy, unhealthy, happy, you know, a life of gratitude is best lived when we're helping other people. I love that. Uh, Laura, for anybody that wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, DietQ.com. Laura Reeves, at Laura Reeves on Instagram. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh, To the listener, thank you so much for your time and your attention. As always, we really appreciate you listening. And if you love the episode, we would dig a five-star review. And if you didn't like it that much, feel free to stick it to us. But subscribe anyways, because we're going to have a ton of incredible people just like Laura back on the show. Thank you. Thank you.